have soul. Prove what? As well as just heart. I'm not a mistake. You'll always have parents. I know now why you cry. I'm gonna make them an offer, Kevin. It must have been one hell of a night we're about to cook it and take Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bring Us the Movies. My name is Eric Dixon, joined by my good pal, Mark Marcus Raymond. Um, that is not my name, but <laughs> hello anyways. Uh, we've got a pretty cool episode planned today. We're going to talk about some, some movie news. we got Disney Plus's lineup for the next six years, mm-hmm. it's looking like. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard. He passed at 91 yeah, today. Yeah, he lost a good one. Yeah. Um, was it, was it, when, when did he pass? He passed uh, about a week, about a week ago. ago, yeah. Um, and then we're going to be talking about Pulp Fiction, that's the movie we're going to be talking about today, choosing my, my me. Um, <laughs> and then we're going to wrap up with uh, what we've been watching lately, and then Q&A, like, like usual, so yeah, ready to get into it? Yeah, absolutely, let's do it. All right, so Disney Plus, just about, actually it was about a week ago as well, it was, they just released a new update to their lineup which includes, uh, I'll let you tell us what it is, because I only have my my part of the news. You go. I mean, it, there's a lot here. Apparently, uh, what I'm reading right now, it says, New Disney movies and shows on Disney Plus updated 2020 th- 2022 through 2028. Wow. There's a lot of stuff here. Some of it is stuff we already knew of, and then all some of it is stuff that's also coming to theaters, so it's not like strictly Disney Plus, but I, there's just so much here. And it's kind of jarring. <laughs> it's, excess- it's excessive. It's it is excessive. It's in. I just I don't like this whole thing these days. That like I feel like a lot of industries are doing it too. Like even gaming and stuff, where we're just announcing things so far in advance. Why? Like why can't we just like announce something? Let people get a little bit excited. Like I I get wanting to build hype, but we don't. We don't need to wait years and years for the hype to build because then the hype just fades. You know, like even with like Avatar, you know how a lot of people were excited for a sequel to that? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's like... Where where to go? Yeah, and it's literally coming out in a few months and like people just aren't talking about it anymore. So it's, it's not as effective as people think. Yeah. And I definitely feel like we need to chill out and just... Let things build hype for a little bit. We find out about something. We're like, oh, that's cool. And then it comes out. We watch it. We enjoy it. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. I say give it like a year max because if it's a blockbuster or like some big like explosive like thing in the industry, it's like, all right, like a year, I'll I'll be okay with that because, you know, you want to build some hype. You want that. But like what happened to Metroid 4, you know? Like, where did that go? Like, that was, like, a big deal when it came out, but, like, or when it was announced, but now nothing has come out since 2019. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. There's, uh, just, man, it's like we, we talk, literally, I'm probably going to be married and have a kid by the time some of this stuff comes out. It's kind of, <laughs> I'm like, come on. <laughs> I and, and it's not even necessarily that some of this stuff is, I'm not looking forward to any of it, because some of it is stuff that I actually think looks cool. Yeah. But... It's too much. And, and yeah, there's too much to the point where it kind of, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of overwhelmed. And who knows, maybe when like they drop a trailer for some of this stuff, I'll completely switch up and be like, okay, actually, I changed my mind. I'm, yeah. I'm really excited. But just looking at this long list of things, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Because like on the one hand, on the one hand, yeah, it's good that these creators are getting some some ability to express themselves, even if it is through like 
even if it is through a very like sanitizing company like Disney. Again, with no no disrespect towards those people involved, mm-hmm. but like on on the other hand, some of these projects like just look like rehashes like i know it's been said a thousand times by a thousand film students but like most of this yeah is like just on like here i literally saw like two things having to do with the lion king mm-hmm. we, we don't need any more lion king which, at all which on that note again to be clear to the, to the audience listening some of this stuff i'm very excited for however some of it are live action remakes <laughs> <laughs> just saying anyways uh <laughs> Uh, if you if you know you know yeah <laughs> shifting gears a little bit uh before we get to at each other's throats uh or uh, at the industry's throats we we're, we're pretty good friends i think when you say uh yeah oh no yeah. anyway <laughs> uh jean-luc godard <laughs> a famous french cinema legend dies at 91 i'm reading this off the news article i'm looking at right now i'm just a lazy bum decided to read that uh Jean-Luc Godard is probably one of the most influential filmmakers of any generation. He's the pioneer, one of the pioneers behind what's called the French New Wave movement. It was a movement in the '60s to kind of like re-experiment and re-rekindle like like tr- like trippy, weird kind of like just out there films. There's a dog. Sorry, this dog will not shut up for the life of me. But his style is like really influential th- for many directors. I'm talking Scorsese. Uh, I'm talking. Uh, Agnes Varda and um, uh, shoot, like I literally could name all. Like they all owe a it's little a bit lot. to him. Yeah, he's like kind of a he's kind of like an under like under known le- like a very little known legend in America because so many of his movies. Like the the trick with his movies. Like, yeah, I honestly probably wouldn't have even known about him if I wasn't a film student and learned about him in, in classes and stuff. Exactly. Like he's like one of those filmmakers who. You like you. It's kind of like a, a secret club kind of knows him because that was what the French New Wave was at the time. It was kind of like a group of film uh, scholars, film critics, and filmmakers from Paris and Marseille who were just kind of mm. like fed up with how exhausted, they, like how exhaustive and cliched the French industry had become. And so they took and that was even back then. Yeah, imagine guys. Take think about that for a second. <laughs> imagine what they would have if what Godard and Varda would have read today if they had seen the Disney Plus lineup. That would have given them <laughs> another death like, from a heart attack. <laughs> sorry but they like kind of each of them had their own shtick but the general unifying theme of this movement was to just just test the boundaries of what was possible with cinema Mm. because they actually got their inspiration from especially godard had his inspiration from b movies and genre pieces in america and he was excited about those because they offered like a new perspective when they came into france after world war ii ended and france opened up its lifted its ban off of imported uh cinema and so like using that that creative fuel of like a new medium and like a new way to approach the medium, he took it and he just twisted it and contorted it and made it all kinds of new experimental films from Breathless to Pierre Lefaux, which I have a criterion of. Um, Nerd, shut up. Uh, he he made uh, he made uh, Viva Savi. He made a bunch of just really experimental films that like they were basically like gangster films, like genre pieces, like mm. hum, like Humphrey Bogart and. Uh, and like those kind of movies where it's like these like edgy noir films, but he made them like in such a weird offbeat comedic way where it was like almost, it was its own thing pretty much. And it was really, oh my God, that dog's annoying. But like, it was really pushing the boundaries of what was possible. And it, he owes, his influence can be seen most especially in the director of today's uh, movie, which Eric picked and I'll let him talk to introduce that a little bit. That was a, that was a nice segue, by the way. Unfortunately, because it's about a man who, 
podcast. Anyways. Oh, uh, uh, what have I done? Anyway, Quentin Tarantino's uh, masterpiece, I guess you could say. Some people will call it that. Yeah. Um, some might disagree. But Pulp Fiction can't deny, whether you love or hate this movie or have never seen it, that it is a staple in American pop culture. Um, I personally, I like this movie quite a bit. I remember, oh, Any anyways, uh, I remember my first time watching it. It was kind of my, one of my first introductions into non-linear storytelling. Yeah, indie stuff. Yeah, because a lot, because a lot of the movies I had watched that around the time I first watched this movie was very cookie cutter, by the book, three act structure kind of deal. And going into this, it was I didn't know what to expect. I just kind of watched it because I didn't I didn't know much about Pulp Fiction at all. I just kind of watched it because I knew it was like, oh, it's this big classic movie. Quentin Tarantino, he's a big deal. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. I'll check it out. See what it's, see what it's about. And I came out of it like, holy crap, that was actually like a lot. Yeah, it was a lot and a lot different from a lot of movies I had seen. But there was something about it that it sticks with you. Yeah. And I was and so I just like it became one of my favorites. And upon rewatching it with with you uh, last week, I still kind of feel the same way about it Yeah. Um, to an extent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely um <clears throat> There's a lot to say about it. Uh, some good, a lot bad. Uh, a lot good, some mm-hmm. bad. But, and it's it's just such a it's 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 a kaleidoscope, is what it is. It's not really like attached to one idea or one principle in its presentation or in its structure or in its like delivery. It seems to like kind of mash together a bunch of different ideas at mm-hmm. once. But it does so in a way that feels cohesive at the same time. Like I know a lot of people when you first watch when you first watch it you're like like you're very confused by the plot structure and stuff but like when you actually sit down and digest the the print it's falling off isn't it yep the I have these sound dampeners in the corners of my of my uh, my room and my wall and they keep falling off and it's grating on me but I'm gonna and it's not it's not even the one that you fixed earlier it's it's a different one entirely. it just fell but I think it was, it's not gonna impact the sound quality anyways. Um, it's been, a, it's been an episode of distractions. We're gonna co- we're gonna co- co-label this an episode of distractions. <laughs> but yeah, like this film, it it seems to like defy convention in a lot of ways, and that's what mm-hmm. a lot of that's what Siskel and Ebert said about it the most. Like the the quote I remember the most about it is from Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert, where he said it calls back to mind old school classics that were also considered like genre bending and getting out of the formula at their time, like Psycho and Bonnie and Clyde, and Clockwork Orange. And what those films did, and what Pulp Fiction does, he says, is they shook up a tired, bloated industry and used a gang of lively low lives to show just how dull other movies had become. And that, he predicted, would be the ultimate honor that you could give Pulp Fiction. Like the best films, it criticizes other movies. That stuck with me for a while. Yeah, I mean, kind of. It really goes against, like, the people you follow, the people you first meet are displayed as just pieces of garbage right off the bat so you're just it's it's like you're not really you don't have that save the cat moment you you have no real reason to root for these characters other than the fact that they're who you follow that's really it yeah (laughs) which is why i think it it owes a lot also to scorsese because he he like the one the two biggest inspirations were scorsese and kubrick for this film specifically mean streets and uh the killing 
because those films you kind of just stuck with these characters whether you like them or not mm-hmm. and it's they're, they're so like detached from the norm and the conventions of what do you expect in cinema that it catches you off guard the first time you saw it. like that was the best way to describe it is like it took me a while to process it but once i like fully understood it and like was able to grasp it i i was saw the genre and the the medium in just a whole new way it's it's really one of those films yeah, that you it's have like to see to believe you you sit there and you 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 study the 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 structure and you read your screenwriting books and you're like this is how it should be and then you watch pulp fiction and just it's said to hell with all that. Yeah. And and so when I first watched it, I'm like, okay, but who, what, but why, but but what about, <laughs> but this is supposed to happen, and 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 it just threw me off. But then once I kind of just accepted that this is what this movie is going to be. Yeah. I really came to enjoy it yeah. for what it was. And I think a large part of that is that there is a logic to the craziness goes on because each segment and each beat of the film. It, like I could, I could recite this movie like beat for beat. Unfortunately, because that makes me sound like a like a nerd and an asshole, which I'm not. <laughs> but, but like each scene kind of like flows in a specific way that kind of like juxtaposes against the next, but also mm-hmm. builds the story forward. An example of that would be the um the 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 Mia Wallace dinner scene, and like like you you see like these little planting details earlier where like like Vincent is like he's buying uh he's buying dope off of these guys who like you think. Oh, it's just like a cutaway thing because like they're just they, like it's just going to show that like he and Mia Wallace. At first, you think it's to, to establish tension because his guard is let down by these drugs, and yeah. as and so is Mia Wallace's. And so like you think, is there going to be some kind of tension between them that could come to a head that could that could kill Vincent? But instead, it goes in a different direction because right because they already talked about earlier how dangerous this guy is. Yeah, and yeah, which is all another thing that you like you get set up like to show like the danger that that Butch has to deal with in his storyline, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, which is a very weird storyline, yeah. by the way. Do we skip certain parts of that? We skipped two parts. Which yeah. Upon rewatching that, I was like, honestly, this chapter could go. I mean, like, it it's could. it's it. Yeah. It should have been a different direction. I, I'm not opposed to like like showing a story with the character of Butch, although he is very violent. But I feel like it should have gone. Yeah, the Butch chapter like feels it just. I don't know because everything else revolving like Jules and Vincent feels like pulp fiction yeah and then this this creepy it feels like another movie for a little bit and then you then it's like oh right back to what you were watching initially and i was like oh okay which i think part of that is the fact that each of these stories the mia wallace story the butch story and the jules and vincent story they have something to do with violence and how like and how and how structure of of hierarchies is built because the whole movie is really it's really vince uh excuse me not vince uh Marcellus's story. It's about how he impacts people below, like the people below him, and how and the people he's in charge with, and the extent to which his own like dominance kind of affects the world around him. It's like there's that quote in The Departed where uh, where Departed, Cost- yeah, sorry, <laughs> where Costello is like, I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. And hmm. I think that's kind of like Marcellus's. Like he never says anything like that. He never has some villainous monologue, but you can tell by his demeanor and by his character that's what he's all about. Sorry, I think that was a fly on there. But, like, that's what shows you how, like, how just, like, it, it vast but also self-contained this world that these characters live in is, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating. You don't get that in a lot of films. Yeah. It feels vast and small at the same time. Yeah, and uh, something, like, can just kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier is, like, the first time I watched this movie, like, I kind of walked away from it, like, feeling like, I feel like that movie was a, a lot of things just happening. 
Mm-hmm. But upon rewatching it, it, it is things happening, but they aren't just happening for the sake of like filling up runtime. It's like even the beginning where they're having that long conversation. It's not just oh, this long drawn out dialogue just to be all cool and artsy. It actually sets up stuff for later mm-hmm. that I didn't really pick up on until I, I watched it again. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of cool how they go about that. It's like exposition, but it's not super traditionally exp- expository, yeah. if that makes sense. It's like, it's 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 relaxed and it's very like, it's, it's very like, like, like underplayed. But that's what makes it so interesting because yeah, you feel we, how the characters have to deal with this danger that's at play. And if they don't respond to it in the right way, if they don't respond to it with a chill, cool attitude, they could get killed by Marcellus. And that's the point, which I right. think is really interesting. Yeah. It it really made me appreciate this movie even more, which it, like, honestly, like, I, upon rewatching, I thought I was going to, I was kind of nervous because I thought it was, it was one of those things where I watched it initially mm-hmm. and I kind of just let, like, the... The hype. the hype get to me mm-hmm. but i mean watching it again i'm like i i still really like this movie it's it's pretty dang solid i yeah. will say yeah and even like smaller like unimportant characters are like really cool like they have really f- interesting backstories like uh the uh the piercing girl she was supposed to be played by ellen degeneres and buddy holly's the waiter was actually played by steve buscemi i don't know if you caught that like that mm. was that was steve buscemi uh Phil Lamar, the guy who plays Marvin, he's Samurai Jack from Cartoon Network. Yeah, which I'm gonna be telling you that. Always be awesome to me. Yeah, um, and every single bit to this movie, like so much really great production design out of like a modest budget, and there's like a lot of really cool like like world building details, like the mm. the cigarettes and the diners and the coffee mugs and all that. Yeah, like so much, just so much iconography to come out of this too. Yeah, and like you're you're just like, and it's funny because like the the irony of it is that this movie is called Pulp Fiction, which Typically, Pulp Fiction is kind of meant to be just kind of consumed and not really thought about much because it's not, they aren't typically great in quality, Mm -hmm. but this movie actually has so many layers and so much depth that it's like, it's it's not a Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's funny because it's called Pulp Fiction. Yeah. And I think the reason it's, it's, because the reason he wanted the Tarantino call it that is because... He was originally planning to do like a black mask, you know, like Humphrey Bogart old school movie. Mm. But over time, like it just took like a kaleidoscopic view of all of the history of good cinema from B movies to French New Wave movies. Like, for example, the dance scene is in uh, the diner scene. That's an homage to Godard. Actually, that was his mm. film Band Apart, which was like a like it was like it was like an experimentation in like in combining genres because. On the one hand, you had this like this like this banal story of of crime gangsters like Tarantino once in an interview. But on the other hand, he wanted to fuse that with something like a musical dance scene because he mm-hmm. felt it would give a sense of realness to it. Because he wants to t- in his all of his movies, he wants to take these like genre characters and these genre conventions and add like a real life flair to them and add like some some like actual tactile dialogue that would that would connect to audiences. And I think dialogue is is primarily the way in which these characters are able to express the realism of the film because even though it's this this crazy idea and this crazy just multi-layered thing it feels very down to earth whenever you actually sit down and just watch a scene yeah and i think that's impressive to me yeah because it because there are definitely hints of it when you watch like reservoir dogs like literally the opening scene is a bunch of people sitting at a table talking about tipping a waitress or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you go to Pulp Fiction and like, that's, it's that. But 
the whole movie is pretty much just a bunch of people talking. Yeah, but there's but hints so to their to their character. Good, yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. So That's not to say it's not good in Reservoir Dogs because it is. Yeah, but. and you could see hints of like you could tell he was like he was still at an amateur level for mm-hmm. Reservoir Dogs, like. But you knew, especially towards the end, like with the commode story and the finale, like you knew he was on to something. Yeah. And this is when people realized, okay, now this guy has it. Pulp Fiction was his. Was it his third? Movie? So okay, so was... it's complicated because he's a complicated man. Yes, uh, yeah. So like, he made a, a feature length eight millimeter film that he didn't finish in college, and which got burnt in a in a fire during, oh, during a store fire. It was black and white film. He says he doesn't like it. He says don't go see it. I've seen clips of it. it looks okay. Uh, his first, like, according to Hoyle movie, as Jules Winfield would have said, <laughs> sorry, but, like, the fir- his first real movie was Reservoir Dogs, and then he wrote uh, a, sc- a screenplay for the, um, for the Tony, um, what was his name, Tony Scott film True Romance, which I have not seen, but it looks pretty decent. It's like, and Pulp Fiction was his, technically his third movie in that regard, because Pulp Fiction was also, like, a collection of of outtakes and extra stories that were deleted from true romance and that's kind of where the genesis oh, wow. of this came from yeah yeah quentin tarantino he does do a lot because he wrote he did the from dust till dawn right yeah and he starred in those and then he he did natural born killers right he did right. an initial screenplay of it which mm-hmm. he he now dismisses that movie because he thinks it's not like he, he does not like how it's like how it, they change the screenplay which i've not seen it but it seems pretty weird because yeah, i haven't seen it either but they we talked about it in my comm class of all places because we were talking about how like people blame the media for violent acts and all that stuff mm-hmm. and that just happened to come up but um but yeah go back to pulp fiction um yeah he like it's definitely the film that put him on on the map yeah and people were like okay let's keep an eye on this guy because he's like you said he's on to something mm-hmm. and now what he's made not there have, been, there have been nine movies written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. He's got one more coming up. That's the last one he's ever going to do. And, and then he's just going to retire, be an author or something, yeah. sip some hot cocoa and bourbon. <laughs> Probably. I like, you know, it's funny you say that. When we saw the opening scene and you mentioned that that uh, that uh, the, the Yolanda like dumped a bunch of sugar into your coffee, mm-hmm. and she goes, well, how is you drinking all that? Like, you can't drink that. I go, because... If it's Tarantino, that ain't sugar in that book. <laughs> That's something else. <laughs> you did say that. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah. Great movie. Skip some parts. Don't take your grandparents to see it. Oh, but don't, Watch please. it in film class. Yeah, it's definitely not that, like, I remember a while ago I was, I was planned on, like, watching it with my girlfriend. She was like, eh, I'm not really in the mood to watch it. Thank gosh, because, like, I forgot how awful that movie gets at times. Mm-hmm. And I just would have felt so awkward if I would have actually watched it. I feel like that's a movie you either watch with your bro or alone. Yeah. I don't feel like there's anyone else you watch that movie yeah. with. And if you do watch it with your bro, you definitely skip it to like certain parts. Yeah. But anyways, um, that was that was a good discussion, I think. It was a really, really cool movie. Uh Seven out of ten. Seven, seven out of ten. Uh, I'll kidding. give it a. I'm oh, kidding. I'll probably give it like a nine. I, I it used to be my favorite movie ever at one point. Actually, yeah, it was. And I I'm not gonna say it's like you grow out of that phase, mm-hmm. but I grew out. It of It just that is phase. one of those movies, if, especially if you don't really like. You you aren't super well versed in the world of film and all that. Mm-hmm. Then if you you watch it, it. It's one of those movies you're either like, oh my god, this is so different, I love it for that, or this is so different, 
I don't like it for that. Yeah. And I feel like I kind of uh, fell victim. Well, not even victim, but like I just kind of gravitated more towards the former because I I just really appreciated that because I'm always craving something a little a little different sometimes. A little offbeat. Yeah. And that definitely delivered it for me. Exactly. So, uh, me too. Yeah. So yeah, I'll probably give it like a nine. Yeah, probably a nine. Just one out of ten off for the Harvey Weinstein thing and the and the scenes that are bad and all that. I, I remember we were we were also talking that day. We we're like like when you go down the list of Tarantino's uh, let's call them quirks. Uh, the longer you go down the list, the worse it gets. Yeah. But anyways. So we just stopped. Li- <laughs> we just we stopped just, listing things. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we we are twenty five minutes into this podcast, and uh, w- what have you been watching lately? Um, besides Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Besides that, I, I'm not gonna lie. I have watched Spider Man three recently, but but I'm not gonna talk about that because, I mean, you guys already know how I feel about that movie. That's okay. Um, something else I watched. Um, I the other night I started watching Lethal Weapon. Uh, with my roommate we we made some dinner and we we sat and watched started watching it and we didn't we didn't get all the way through it because it got pretty late and we were both really tired mm-hmm. but uh yeah lethal weapon that was my third time watching it um i really like that movie and those movies i like that whole series but, yeah um i yeah it's one of those those things it's i don't know it's it's a weird little a little cheesy, but yeah, yeah, it definitely is, and it's there. Even re, upon rewatching it again, I'm like, there are some parts of this movie that are not They're a little very, goofy. Yeah, and, and not even that, but just aren't like it's the way they handle like mental health uh, yeah. stuff, and I'm like, okay, this isn't this is very 80s, but you get past that. Yeah, it's it's an enjoyable movie. It has really because it's one of those those buddy cheesy movies. yeah cheesy buddy cop movies that actually has it, has it, fo- it focuses a lot on the characters and the relationship which i think is why i gravitate towards it so much because it's not just about action and and all that stuff it yeah. actually there is a lot of heart to it which i think is what really made me gravitate towards those movies in the first place because i do i love strong character writing yes it's like for me it goes character and plot like i feel like characters are what really make a, a good movie or show or whatever yeah i'm i'm kind of like it's either character or plot for me it can go in either order but mm-hmm. action needs to come from those two things like that's yeah. how that's how a good scene is made and a good film is made yeah we'll have like having like active protagonists mm-hmm. yeah uh and it reminds me in that regard of die hard which is like i think that's also like that same vein like it, shane black was gonna like i think he submitted an early draft of die hard actually yeah like, i mean doesn't surprise me. Yeah, they're very similar. The Christmas yeah. theme, their action, their they got humor. Because I always, I always like compare Lethal Weapon and Die Hard because it's it's like a is it a Christmas movie or is it just an action movie that happens to take place around that time? Bruce Willis says it's not a Christmas movie. I don't believe him. I think deep down he knows it is, <laughs> but I'm biased. Uh, That's true. You lo- you do love you some Die Hard. Yes. You're a die. You're Die Hard for Die Hard. Shut up. <laughs> I'm leaving. Goodbye. Well, guys, Mark has left. It's just me now. Um, I guess we'll wrap this episode up early. All right, all right. Oh, there he goes. All right. My cigarettes are in this place, (laughs) so I can't really leave anyways.
but a movie I've been watching lately is uh, No Country for Old Men. I, uh, my girlfriend, she loves the book by um, Cormac McCarthy, I think his name mm. was. Or, I'm sorry if I got that name wrong. But I love the movie. I saw it the first time when I was like 17 in high school, and it changed my view on cinema in a lot of ways, it's similar to Pulp Fiction. Mm. And like it's great because a movie I'd recently... She had never seen this movie, but a movie I had shown her a few days ago before that was Men in Black, which also has Tommy oh, Lee nice. Jones. And when I showed her that, I go, isn't he just perfect for Sheriff Bell? And she goes, yep. And <laughs> now we're watching the movie, and it's just absolutely Yo, it's Tommy joy. Lee Jones. That man can really He's melt into a role. You know? yeah. And uh, No Country... I, I really wish I hadn't watched No Country for Old Men when I did. I was like 15 mm-hmm. or something like that. I was fairly, I was fairly young, and I... When I watched it, I didn't take it seriously. I just kind of put it on because I was like, oh, this looks like it could be cool. And I started watching it. And I watched it all. It was one of those movies where I was like, I'm not that into this, but I'm going to like finish it out just because I started it. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I don't feel like I got much out of it. I just It's just one of those movies that I've seen. But I, I do really need to rewatch it because I know it's one of those like movies that is really, really good yeah. if you really <laughs> are actually into it. Yeah. And I just need to find a time where I can sit down and be like, all right, we're going to actually we're gonna analyze this. We're going to get into it. Because yeah. I really do want to appreciate that movie more than I did the first time I watched it. Of course. Yeah. And you're, I will say, though, you're going to turn into a sad Wojak meme by the end of it because it will make uh, you sad. But man, yeah. Sorry. That that was uh, Coen Brothers, Yes, right? which is funny because I'm also watching Big Lebowski with my girlfriend as well, also mm. by the Coen Brothers. And... They could not be. The Coen Brothers are a master of just doing wildly different things. Like yeah, they've done crazy. a movie. Sorry, they've done a movie that's like a a, a a gangster stealing a baby heist movie with with Nick Cage and the lady who plays Mrs. Incredible in Southern Texas. But they've also done a really dark drama about like about like this this kidnapping spree gone wrong called Fargo. Like they just do Fargo's, wildly different things. Fargo's. <laughs> Fargo's kind of funny. Like it, it's not, but it's kind of both. It, yeah, it, I'm just. It's so stupid. Cause I'm sorry, I, we're not talking about Fargo here, but it, that movie <laughs> is kind of hilarious at times. They're all hilarious. Even <laughs> even No Country for Old Men has some surprisingly funny moments. I on part Does it? I don't remember. I don't remember. I just remember it being dark and violent and yeah, honestly scary at times. It like, is a scary movie. Like uh, what's Shigur? It? Yeah, that. that He's scary, dude. Check. That part in the what was the convenience store where he oh. just straight up, I the first time I watched that I was like, he's gonna kill him. What? And that was such a create. I hate to use that word. Interesting way to kill someone. Yeah, I'll say that. Yeah, but that was just it's just a wild ride. I'm not finished rewatching it, but mm-hmm. I cannot wait for the ending because that ending hits me like a rock falling from yeah. fifty feet up. But, I have to give a rewatch sometimes. Yeah. All right. Uh, we have a couple of questions today. We didn't get quite as many as we were All anticipating. Right, what we, got? we have this first one from Eric Mendiola. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Uh, what is uh, your your prediction on the future of the DC universe? I'll let you go first. Oh, the DC universe. Mm. Um, are they are they still trying to do that whole shared universe thing? I don't really know what they've got going on. I don't know, and I. Do not give Because what's crap. coming out was Black Adam. Black Adam. Uh, there was Flash movie, but Ezra Miller's been up to no good. Um, yeah. We're not going to get into that, but 
Uh, what else is coming? They've got lined up. There's another Shazam movie. Yeah. So they've got some stuff under their belt. Yeah, I think Batman's um, getting a sequel too. The bat, yeah, the yeah. Batman was. I hope it does. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, it was solid. Um, um, so I mean, the future, as long as they don't get too swept up in the idea of a shared universe, I a part of me feels like for DC, just kind of, just kind of make movies, make movies about different characters, do what you want, because I feel like even with the MCU, it's cool. But they are kind of limited in what they can do, considering it's a shared universe. And if they do one thing, that could screw up the continuity of, of everything. Because it already happened with, like, Spider-Man, which kind of threw everything off. And then yeah. Endgame with the five-year time jump and the Spider-Man was a no, no Way Home where they... They're a multiverse now. Yeah, where they erase memories and stuff. So they do a lot of things that affect other movies and, like, the whole universe that kind of... It's the world's biggest juggling act. Yeah, and I feel like if DC, if they just keep everything separate and keep everything kind of contained, they can make some really solid stuff. Like you look at the Batman, you look at Joker, you look at uh, the Suicide um, Squad. The, su- the, su- the Suicide Squad, yeah. Not Suicide Squad. That one's yeah. Yeah. But anyways. But yeah, you look at these movies. They they make some good stuff. They got some good stuff under their belt. Just keep doing that. Focus on just making these movies and don't focus on trying to make everything tie in together because. Mm-hmm. I feel like that can kind of, that's where a lot of people falter. Yeah, that. they're trying to copy, like, what's, they're trying to copy Coca-Cola, when in reality, you can just make Shasta Cola. I don't mind Shasta Cola. <laughs> I mind diluted Shasta Cola, which is what they've been making for, until, like, the Suicide Squad and stuff like that. Mm. But my answer to it, there's only one thing they really need to do right now. Just make a Mad Mod movie in the vein of Austin Powers, and I'll be fine. Like, that's all <laughs> I want in life. Like, really? Like, it's, it, I miss, I miss Mad Mod from Teen Titans. He's, he's the best. Um, but oh, man, a Teen Titans. Wait, they have a show, don't they? They have Titans two shows. They have like they have three shows. You're right. I, I forgot. They had the the early 2000s one, the goofy like silly kids show Teen Titans Go, and then they have the Titans, which is like an, an edgy dark like like wannabe like teen angst movie or show or something like that. And it's like yeah, that's I can't a, keep that's the one I was uh, talking about. I just want I just want Mad Mod. That's, all, that's I'm not asking for much people. Um, Next question from Chance Mathias. Finish show, finish show. <laughs> uh, why slash how did Stan Lee cameo in every Marvel film? Why slash how? Yeah, as to how he did it, I think what you do is you put on some makeup, you stand from a camera, you say your lines, and then you the camera turns off. I think that's how they did it. As to why he did, it, as to why he did it, I think primarily it has to do with. Like, just trying to make it into, like, a cohesive experience. Because even like, he was doing this before even the MCU, before it was a big shared universe. Yeah, because he did an Ang Lee's Hulk. He did it in fan- the Fantastic Four movies. He was doing it in a bunch of other stuff. Spider-Man, yeah. Like, yeah. he was pretty big in the industry because he was the guy who kind of made it all. But that said, some Marvel films were so bad, they didn't even have a Stan Lee cameo. Like... The crappy Fantastic Four reboot from tw- 2015, that didn't... Like, I remember Honest trailer. I didn't have a Stan Lee. I mean, I haven't seen it. I probably... I've seen parts of it. it will. <laughs> I hate to say it. Like, never say never, but also, I'll probably never watch that movie. I'm just being... Yeah, keep just your, being unless we want to do an episode, which I don't want to do, but... Uh, but, like, I remember there was an Honest trailer back when I was in middle school or high school or whatever, and, like, they mentioned, like, at the very end, like... This movie was so bad, it didn't even have a Stan Lee cameo. Like, yeah, that's... That is... Oof. Is that the only one that doesn't have? It's, it's probably not the only one. I'm sure there's others. But, like, 
that's like that's like not having like a vintage on a bottle of wine. Like, what have you done, people? <laughs> that's that actually really makes me look at that movie in a whole. Not actually, it doesn't make me look at that movie in a whole new light, but yeah. it just further um, <laughs> it's demonizes it. Yeah, it's like, I'm just like, man, people have said this movie was bad, but it doesn't even have a Stan Lee cameo. Yeah. At least one redeeming quality. Yeah, my my thing is it reminds me of I got this a little bit ago. You guys can't see it because again, this is a podcast. You can't. Well, I was going to ask you about that earlier. Yeah. So. so I got for this project that I kind of fell through. It was like going to be like this like analysis of superhero fatigue and stuff. I got like a little like as like a decoration for like this like this project where we would have like a, a stack of DVDs and stuff for a bunch of superhero movies. I got this Batgirl doll just as like a just as like a like a like a joke like haha isn't it funny that Batgirl got canceled which it's not like it's not funny it people's like people's chance of making a movie got got messed over so i'm sorry to those people but now i kind of keep it as like a as a keepsake for myself to remind myself even if it doesn't matter if you're making citizen kane or the room finish your projects just 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 keep Pretty, going at it yeah keep that's true it. the room does exist so why Batman yeah. could have, Batman could have got a fair, Bat or Batgirl could have got a fair shot. Exactly. Yeah, and Brendan Fraser and all those people, they deserve, they deserve good shots. You know, like they, they're, they're good people. I'm sure. They Wait, have. was Brendan Fraser supposed to be in that? He was gonna be a villain. I think. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and like, well, thank God he's in the whale now. But like, yeah. like, but like. Which I actually really want to see that. Me too. Way. I'm excited for the whale. This is gonna, <laughs> it's an indie film by this really disturbing, uh, like this guy makes really disturbing horror movies, Darren Aronofsky. We got Brendan Fraser back. Come on. Rock and roll. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, is that about it for the episode, do you think? We're at 40-minute mark? Uh, I, feel like, part. I feel like that's decent. Or do you want to do, do one more? Um, well, that's all the questions I could get. <laughs> oh, that's that's lame. Yeah, I know. Guys, send us more questions. No, no, no. I, I, I went out and I asked my friends and stuff. But this is just a, this is just a, a chill, regular podcast. We're not trying to make... Like the we're not trying to make like the H three H three podcast yeah. or anything. We also aren't trying to hold you guys up. You have you have things to do. Yeah, of course. But if you are interested, leave us a question in the comments. We would love to hear from you guys. Um, all right, so I think that's about it. Uh, this has uh, been episode two of Bring Us Some Movies, and next episode we'll be doing a versus episode, a very first yes. versus episode on Prey versus Predator. Yes. Which will be very fun because I've heard good things about both those movies. Although yes. I have seen Predator, but anyways. I haven't seen either, so I'm excited to watch a nice. double feature. <laughs> it's the diehard director from Predator and the 21 Is it? Clo- and the 21 Cloverfield Lane for Prey. So for one, I knew that I knew that one. So for once, the Predator franchise is getting good directors, which is nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'd like to thank you all for watching and wish you all true and false a very pleasant good evening.